chapter 1 for our preaching this morning. And in Matthew chapter 1, we're going to be looking at the end of this chapter, from verses 18 to verse number 25. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to verse number 25. And this will be our text for this morning's message, which will be called Emmanuel, God with us. Emmanuel, God with us. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to verse number 25. Let us hear God's word. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou, son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife. For that which is conceived is of the Holy Ghost. And she will bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying. Behold a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel. Which being interpreted is God with us. And Joseph being raised from sleep did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took him, his wife, and knew her, not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. And may the Lord bless his word to us. Our text here this morning, in Matthew chapter 1, Deals with an, inc- an amazing, a wonderful event. An event in many ways which shaped the world as we know it today. The Son of God, the eternal Son of God, Him who is without beginning and without end, assumed human flesh. The infinite God, assuming finite flesh, he became man. And the Christian church, we have called this doctrine the incarnation. The incarnation. Now when do people usually think of this wonderful truth? It's usually, isn't it, a certain time of the year. It's usually at the end of December. And usually it doesn't have a lot to do with the birth of Christ at all. It's something very sad about that, isn't there? Often there's a festival that is supposedly about the birth of Christ, but very little about it is about the birth of Christ at all. Yes, and we want people to think about Christ. We want people to think about the real 
Jesus Christ as revealed in scripture. But not just to think about him as a baby in the manger. Or a baby in the womb. The son of God assumed human flesh. Today he is man. He became man. He is and ever will be true God and true man. And we're not just to think about this once a year. And we're not just to think about this according to the traditions and festivals of the world. We're to think about this every Sabbath day. Every Sabbath day is Resurrection Sunday. Every Sabbath day is a day to celebrate the resurrection. Every Sabbath day is on the first day of the week for a reason. Because Jesus rose from the grave. Jesus died. How did he die? He became man. So this, every Sabbath day, we celebrate the victory over the grave. We celebrate the victory over death and over hell. We celebrate that Jesus assumed human flesh. A true man. And we're to celebrate that incarnation every single Sabbath day. And we do in various different ways. It's a glorious truth. Christ rose from the grave. See friends. He didn't just come. To be born. He didn't just come. To give us a celebration. Where we can decorate our houses. And all these things that usually take place. At the end of December. He came with a specific mission. To live a perfect life. In our place. And to die. That we may live. That's why he came. And so when we think about the resurrection every Sabbath day, we're not just to think about, sometimes you'll see artists and they'll see the mother and the baby and all these things. No, we're to think about Jesus as revealed in the scriptures, who is true God and true man, and is at the right hand of the majesty on high today. We're to think about the incarnation, God becoming flesh. So as we look and as we think about this amazing teaching from scripture, this amazing event, number one, we're going to look at this amazing power. Number one, this amazing power. Verse 18 of our text says this, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, Before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then at the end of verse 20, it also tells us, For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. This is what the Christian church has called the virgin birth. The virgin birth. This was a miracle. Something extraordinary had happened. Mary was pregnant before she was even married. Before she was joined with her later husband, Joseph. 
How could she be with child? This is the question even Joseph had running through his mind in verse 20. Verse 19, sorry. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. Now that's privately or secretly. And we know from nature, don't we? No matter whether it's an animal or a person, you have a mommy and a daddy. If you, if you have dogs at home, young people, you know that if you're going to have puppies, you have to have a, a, basically a, a girl dog and a, and a boy dog. Nature teaches us this. If it's just the girl dog by herself, there's no puppies, is there? How could this happen? How is this even possible? Well, this is a miracle. And we know the word is probably overused today. It's a miracle. But a miracle is something extraordinary. What does a miracle mean? One older dic- dictionary gives this definition of a miracle. A deviation from the normal laws of nature. A deviation from the lo- normal laws of nature. A supernatural event, it says. So in nature, what do you normally see? All creatures have a, two parents. Male and female. A mommy and a daddy. You see this across nature. That's what normally happens in nature. But here she conceives by the Holy Spirit. If we turn briefly to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1 verses 34 and 35. Luke chapter 1 and verses 34 and 35. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be? Seeing I know not a man. Mary also wonders this herself. How is this possible? And then verse 35 explains how this is possible. That she could be with child. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also, that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. The Holy Spirit. That is how this is possible. The power of Almighty God. A miracle. As we said, a deviation from the normal laws of nature. Because God is all powerful. This is the God we worship. This is the God we serve. A God of miracles. True miracles. Miracles where would leave us in amazement. This is amazing and glorious power. So this happens. Verse number 23 as well in our text says this. This is quoting from Isaiah which we read earlier. Matthew chapter 1 verse 23. Behold a virgin shall be with child. And she shall bring forth a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel. Which being interpreted is God with us. The infinite God. And we struggle don't we to think about this word infinite. 
infinite. No beginning and no end. There, are, there is so much of the world we have never studied. Most of the oceans. I think it's about 80 or 90% of the oceans we've never explored. All the depths of the oceans. But even the oceans. The Pacific Ocean, the Atlantic Ocean. They have a limit. There, there is a bottom to those oceans. But not with God. His power knows no limit. His glory knows no limit. That is the infinite God who assumed human flesh, the second person of the Trinity. And so that it says his name should be Emmanuel, God with us. When they read that prophecy hundreds of years before in Isaiah, A virgin shall conceive? How is this possible? And this is the one who will be born of this virgin. In his divine nature, he fills both heaven and earth. Yes, Jesus came to earth. But there's also another sense in which he always, forever, Continued in his divine nature as God to fill heaven and earth. Isn't that amazing? He is truly amazing. But it was also a baby in his mother's womb. We also see here as well, life begins at conception. Life begins at conception. There's no, there's no hint in the scriptures. Oh, here is a potential human being. Here is a, a human being made in the image of God. Will one day have value? No. Our lives have the value that they have because we've been made in the image of God. In the image of God. The mother was a child. Not a clump of cells. Not a potential person. <coughs> Jesus from the moment of his conception, we may even say it's a miraculous conception. That was the miracle. In, in, in some senses, it's a very normal birth he went through. He went through it as a human being. He went through normal development as a hu- as true man. But the miraculous, the incredible, how He was conceived. But from that moment, true man. True man. But also the son of God from eternity. How should we respond? I am not coming here this morning saying you should be able to wrap your minds around these things. You can't. Our confession of faith even tells us our God is incomprehensible. Another way of thinking about it is we can't wrap our minds around God. If we could wrap our minds around an idea of God, that's an idol. And all we can do at times is just worship Him. How great and how wonderful He is. If it's a God we can understand, if it's a God we can measure, if it's a God we can comprehend with our minds he is not 
worthy of our worship. This God, this true and living God, is worthy of our worship here this morning. And we see it in this wonderful and this miraculous power. Now, when we hear of miraculous power, how can we know that this is true? So that brings us on to our second point. Our second point is this amazing prophecy. This amazing prophecy. So we can know of this amazing power because of this amazing prophecy. How do we know what is true? What is truth? What is error? How do we know? How is it even is it even, is it even possible to know? Joseph seeks first to put away Mary. First of all, he sees that he learns that she is with child. Verse 19, then Joseph, her husband, they're not yet married at this point, but they're, they're engaged to be married, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. Joseph hears the news and he seeks to put away Mary. Now, how does he learn that she remained faithful to him. How does she learn? How does he learn? Sorry, Joseph learned that what took place in her womb was a miracle. Well, verse twenty tells us. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David. Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. That's how he knew. That's how he knew. Supernatural revelation revealed by God. So we think of we think of angels. These are divine messengers. Bringing a message from God. How do we know? How did Joseph know? The truth was revealed to Joseph at that point. Showing him the right way to go. In the 19th century. For the last few hundred years I think it is now. Many have denied the virgin birth. There have been many people saying, well, you don't need to believe the virgin birth. You can still be a Christian. They will teach you that, well, it doesn't matter what facts you believe about Jesus. As long as you have the feeling of depending upon him. That was the teaching. But without the virgin birth, you undermine so much of the Christian religion. Actually, you end up with a different religion Entirely. Why do people, why did people struggle to believe this miracle? Why did they struggle to believe this? Did they struggle to believe in the supernatural? Actually, many of them believed very supernatural claims. They believed all sorts of things. The real problem, and the real problem for the people in the world who will say, I don't believe in the virgin birth, is they doubt God. They doubt his word. And they don't trust him. This is the real problem. It was the problem in Genesis chapter 3. 
The devil says, Yea, hath God said. Did God really say that? Are you sure? Planting doubt in the minds of Adam and Eve. But friends, this truth was revealed to Joseph. Telling Joseph, this is true. What is in Mary's womb was of the Holy Ghost. It was supernatural. We know today that the virgin birth is true. How do we know it? It's revealed in scripture. That's how we know it. We couldn't know it otherwise, could we? Let's put it another way. God knows more than me or you. He knows more than us. So we should learn from him. And this was also prophesied hundreds of years beforehand. If we turn to Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. An incredible prophecy. Hundreds of years before this. Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And shall call his name Emmanuel. A virgin shall conceive. This is many hundreds of years before this takes place. And it's quoted in our text in Matthew chapter 1 verses 22 and 23. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord by the prophet saying. Behold a virgin shall be with child. In verse 23. So there's no guesswork here. There's no, mm, I wonder if that's true or not. No, they knew that this was the fulfillment of that prophecy written and spoken about by the prophet, the prophet Isaiah. Long before it happened, showing that God, the God of Scripture, The God has given us the word of the living truth. He is the master of all history. He is in control of all things. God doesn't learn about something happening. He decrees it. And it comes to pass. He knows all things. He's the ruler of all time. God knows the future. Because he has declared the future. From eternity. Past. These prophecies show that it is God who speaks. There's many books in the, in the world that say this is God's word, you know, the, the Quran with, with the Muslims and things like this. But there's nothing like scripture that points specifically to the Messiah, where he would live, where he would grow up, his line, his lineage back to David, and also that he would be born of a virgin. There's no guesswork here. There is only the certainty of its accuracy. It's an incredible, it's it's an amazing prophecy. Only God knows the future. And in so showing this, we know it's God who speaks. We know it's God who speaks. 
In Isaiah 46, Isaiah chapter 46, and verses 9 and 11. Isaiah chapter 46, verses 9 to verse 11. It says this, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done. Saying my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Then at the end of verse 11 it says I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have proposed it. I will also do it. So God will declare before the event happens. Unlike the idols which cannot predict or know the future. Showing when it does happen that he is the true God. And this is his word. This is his supernatural revelation. That is powerful. Joseph learned the difference between what is true and what is false. From divine revelation. So must we. We cannot know the truth. What, what is we cannot discern right from wrong without the light of Scripture to guide us and to lead us. So may the Lord do that and help us mercifully. Number three now. The, this amazing person. This amazing person. So we've looked at this amazing power, this amazing prophecy, this amazing person. And as we speak about this, the incarnation, we must not just think about an event. We don't believe just in an event. We believe in a person. We believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And our Christianity, our, our, our faith, our worship must be centered around him. This amazing person. It says in verse number 21 of our text. And she shall bring forth a son. And thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Jesus was and is the son of Mary, true man. It's very vital that we understand that. True man. But also from eternity, before he became flesh, eternally the son of God. Eternally begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth. And we also have to point out that Jesus is a true person. He's not two people stuck together. You might think, do people believe that? Some do. One person. The Lord Jesus Christ. Yet two natures. True God and true man. These natures, don't, they don't mix together. They are distinct. But he is one person. Jesus is so amazing. When we look at these things, we struggle to understand. And we do struggle. And we will struggle. How can he be both God and man? Much of the early church struggled with this idea. And went back and forth and had all these different um, discussions with each other. 
The fact that he is true God and true man. Born of a woman. Of the seed of David. This kingly line. This kingly line. In Romans 1 verse 3. It speaks of this. Romans chapter 1 and verse number 3. Concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord. Which was made of the seed of David. According to the flesh. True man in every way that we are human. Yet without sin. Tempted in all points. That we were. Yet without sin. He suffered Bearing our sins and carrying our sorrows. He came to assume human flesh so that he could suffer. I want us to think about this for a second because it's very important. God in his divine nature cannot suffer. There are many people who teach that God can suffer. But he cannot. Our confession of faith says that God is without body, parts, or passions. That last word, passions. Very simply, he's without passions. He can't suffer. He can't be moved from one passion to another passion like we are as mere creatures. He cannot suffer. But in the flesh, he did suffer. He became true man. And she shall bring forth a son, verse 21, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. He could only do that as true man. Yes, and as true God, but true man. He came to die, so that all that would die in him would live. He gives us life. He gives us life. And this life that his flesh gives us is pictured in the Lord's Supper. His body and his blood, signs and seals, tokens of his affection toward his people that they would feed on him. That they would trust in him. Being fed spiritually by Christ. Christ gave his life in order that you, the believer, would live. That he would be your food and your drink. That he would satisfy your hunger. That he would quench your thirst. But this amazing person, we must not forget, is also God. And it's something we can struggle with. Verse number 23. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel. Which being interpreted is God with us. He doesn't change in any way in his divine nature. He is the same God prior to the incarnation, before the incarnation, during his earthly life, and today and forevermore. Jesus the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we can struggle with this. What we can sometimes do is limit the Son of God. We think, hmm, is he really omnipresent? In his divine nature, Jesus is omnipresent. Yet, 
he is true man at the right hand of the majesty on high. The divine nature cannot change. If it could change, if God in any way could change, he's not God. If God could change in any way, we would need to be worried, wouldn't we? That would mean his promises could change. And we praise God that he cannot change. And this is why we are not consumed. Because he does not change. He cannot change. Jesus Even in his mother's womb. Was not confined to the flesh. He filled and forever does fill heaven and earth. Jesus was asleep in the boat during a storm. His human nature he's asleep. And yet in his divine nature he is the one in complete control of the storm. And the disciples were amazed. Who is this man? Who controls all these things. They diminished him as well. They didn't see that was before him. Emmanuel. God with us. And at times they saw it. Thomas saw it. And he said. My Lord and my God. And we struggle. We struggle to see these two natures. Glorious. Of this heavenly man. I remember struggling with this in my early days as a Christian. I remember somebody wrote something one time. I think it was, it was on the internet. And somebody said, Jesus is omnipresent. And I went, yeah, that sounds about right. But you, you've struggled. And sometimes it's very hard. Who do you ask? And if I ask this person, will they think, oh, I'm, I'm, a ter- I'm thinking something terrible. We should think about these things. We should think about Christ. This amazing person. As true God. What did he say to his disciples at the end of Matthew 28? Lo I am with you. Even unto the end of the world. At your loneliest moment. As a believer in Jesus Christ. You feel alone. But you're not. You're not alone. You may be out working in the fields. There may be nobody around you, but you're a believer in Jesus Christ. Lo, I am with you, even unto the end of the world. And that's something to remind us. And that brings us to our final point. This amazing presence. This amazing presence. So we've looked at this amazing power, prophecy, person. Finally, number four, presence. Because of Christ and what he did. God is close to us. You see, we can't have peace and a relationship with God without what Christ did. That he assumed human flesh. There is peace. And this is why God is with us. So when we come to worship, we come forgiven. Washed. No longer naked. In our own attempts to cover up our own sin. Remember Adam and Eve when they they see that they're sinners. And they, they try to cover themselves over. But it's not enough. It must be God's covering. It must be God's cleansing. It must be something that God does. Restoring, reconciling that relationship with him. 
But if we've trusted in Jesus Christ, if God be for us, who can be against us? If we're facing trials in your work, you're facing trials and difficulties, who is on your side and who is on their side? Who is with you? If we turn briefly to Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8 and verses 31 and 32. Romans chapter 8, verses 31 and verse 32. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? And Paul, writing to Romans, says this. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall we not with him also freely give us all things? Who is on our side? And the people who wish for the gospel not to advance, for the truth not to go forth. Perhaps there's maybe obstacles in your life preventing you, maybe in your work, and people are trying to stop you from following the Lord. Who is on your side? And who is on theirs? We ought to pity the other side because they're on the losing side. Jesus came to reconcile sinners who are far from God. And when we have Jesus Christ, God is with us. We were all at one point far from God. But when the Lord looked upon us, those who are believers in Jesus Christ today, and took pity upon us, He rescued us and brought us into his presence. If we think of worship, worship, the public worship of God, we're not just to think about how we can fill our minds. Yes, we learn about things about God, but we meet with God. God comes and meets with us in a special way. Emmanuel, God with us. I think that's something we can miss and lose at times. In, a, in an age where people are so individuals, there are so much individual, people are being so broken apart. But when we come together as God's people to worship together, something special happens. God is in a special way in the midst of us. Even the preached word. God is speaking to us. God is using frail, weak, sinful men to communicate an incredible message. Because he's God with us, Emmanuel. When we face affliction, when we face suffering, whatever that suffering is, we hide the truth in our hearts so that we realize God is with us. Do you know this Emmanuel? Do you know him? We will never fully comprehend this amazing event. We will never fully comprehend this amazing person. We can't. He is incomprehensible. He is God Almighty. But we can apprehend him. We can lay hold upon him by faith. If we look to Jesus and him alone. 
No confidence in the flesh. He has taken pity upon you. A sinner. And what has happened? You have died to self. I no longer live for myself. I live for him. And that is the most wonderful thing. To live for yourself. That is miserable. But to live for Christ. That is joyful. That is wonderful. Are you looking forward to heaven? We have but tasted of God with us. But in heaven, we will see in its fullness. And what does the scripture say? The eye hath not seen, nor the ear heard. We cannot wrap our minds around the joys and the, and the, the pleasures and, and the, the, the happiness, shall we even say, in the presence of the Lord. A place of no suffering, no sin, pure joy. We suffer in this world because of our sin. We have death and disease and suffering in this world because of sin. But in the presence of him, perfect health, perfect joy, perfect peace, perfect righteousness. In Christ we have all that to look forward to. Remember him, Emmanuel. Yes, Jesus was once a baby. But he ever liveth to intercede for us. Seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. Emmanuel, God with us. Let us pray.